morning, Zion family, friends, and guests. Here are our weekly announcements. We invite you to our drive through food distribution on Saturday, April the 17th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. The pickup location will be at Greater Little Zion Baptist Church and the food will be distributed first come, first serve. Make sure to join us throughout the week for our weekly prayer meeting on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. and the virtual adult Bible study at 7.30 p.m. We also will be having our Sunday school sessions, our youth and young adult Sunday school on Saturdays at 10 a.m. and on Sunday, our adult Sunday school at 8.30 a.m. We hope that you have an amazing blessed Sunday.
of Zion, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad within it. Would you get your Bibles and join me, if you will, in the book of Genesis chapter 39, the book of Genesis chapter 39, and we're going to read the first six verses of that chapter. I wanted to today talk about, more pointedly, Genesis chapter 38, and I wanted to discuss moving from the miserable molding pit of chapter 37 to the miserable Mrs. Potiphar in chapter 39. However, there's something more in reading the text that I wanted to display, and so we're going to look at something a little bit different between uh, the text today, still in chapter 39, um, but something that seems to take place between chapter 37 and chapter 39. So let's go to the text, Genesis chapter 39, and we will begin reading at verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned, he put in his charge. And it came about that from that time he made him overseer in his house and over all he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was a handsome man in the form of appearance and form. Amen. Word of the Lord. Continuing again our series under the general title of Redirecting for Progress, but today we want to preach from the subject, there's going to be a brighter day. There's going to be a brighter day day. So as we wrap up the concluding episodes of chapter 37, it provides for us a telling story in reference to Joseph. It looks quite like Joseph's journey is one of defeat, left in a pit to probably die, but instead Joseph experiences a type of resurrection from the pit with the help of his brother Judah and the traveling Ishmaelite merchants. Joseph is lifted from the waters of despair, darkness, and now he is safe, as the hymn would say. Meanwhile, his father is left to think that Joseph is deceased he has been torn to pieces by a vicious animal, and now Jacob is left mourning, rejects the comfort of his children, and vows that he would go to his grave mourning the death of his assumed deceased son, Joseph. However, in reality, Joseph is said to have been sold to Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, and thus was the beginning of a new day for Joseph from the miserable molding pit that we found in chapter 37. Now keep in mind, I've never insinuated during this journey to you that the molding pit would be void of disappointment, would be void of discouragement, or would be void of potential demise. I've tried to suggest to you that whenever you're in the molding pit, it certainly is marked by disappointment. 
it certainly has its moments in which discouragement rises to the occasion. And certainly there are those who can testify of the potential demise that they encountered in the molding pit. In fact, anyone who has succeeded at their acquisition of progress or prosperity will certainly testify that they have had some good days and they have had some hills to climb. They have had some weary days and arguably even some sleepless nights. But every step in the pit has been a molding process of life and a stepping stone to later what they would describe as a new beginning, a brighter day. With that said, let's not overlook the lessons that Joseph has to convey for us and I would argue that Joseph is trying to teach us in order to experience this brighter day. Three lessons I think that Joseph is going to part out and it may be better said three pieces of advice that Joseph is trying to inform us of. The first being that I think Joseph is saying whatever you do, don't let your now blind you from your next. Let me say that again. Joseph is suggesting that don't let your now blind you from your next. See, when you are in the process of believing God for your vision, you can't afford to get caught up in the frustration and the disappointment of what you have not yet seen. If 2 Corinthians 5, 7 is true, that we walk by faith and not by sight, then we have to believe and we have to be encouraged that there are things that are relevant to the vision, to the dream, to the now that may not manifest themselves in the now. Remember what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, that there are things that our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard, nor has it entered into our minds the things that God has in store or planned for those who love the Lord. A better word might be, nor can we imagine the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Here's what I'm really trying to tell you. You can't get trapped in your now because it's very well could be only a temporal moment and it's subject to change. Here is something further in the text that's life-changing, and that is, if you notice, when you read this narrative of Genesis 37, and then you pick it up again in Genesis 39, I've observed that in Joseph's now, you never read Joseph responding to any of the criticisms of his brothers. He never has a word of action in response by way of verbal at all. I'm convinced that Joseph decided not to permit other people's issues to become his issue. For it was his brothers, not Joseph, who had the issue of hate and jealousy. And Joseph decided it was their issues, not mine. And that's revelation for us to understand. You can't allow other people's issues to become yours. But whatever they're dealing with, let them deal with that. But you keep your eyes on the prize moving forward, remembering you don't have to respond because someone makes a suggestion or makes a criticism, particularly if you know in your heart where your vision is intended to go. And Joseph now, he never responds. He doesn't have to because he knows, I believe, that next is far better. In fact, Joseph gives additional suggestion by saying, here's something we want to get a hold of. Someone else's poison can affect us if we digest it. If we allow ourselves to drink of other people's poison, to drink of their cup, whether it be jealousy, whether it be envy, whether it be hate, whether it be strife, 
if we allow ourselves to drink from their cup that we might stay quote unquote in harmony with them trust me whatever poison is in that cup it will affect you it will affect your journey and I think Joseph is saying not only do you not have to respond to them but don't drink from the cup of their poison there's another thing he says whatever you do because they've decided that they wanted to sort of place their envy or their strife or their hatred or we'll capsulize it or their mediocre or their mediocrity I should say onto you Joseph contends oh no whatever you do don't attempt to connect minor characters in your life into major figures in your destiny wow listen to what Joseph is saying you've got to measure people you have got to make sure that you don't allow minor characters and in Joseph's context this is what his brothers were at the moment minor characters he doesn't have to connect to them that's why he doesn't respond I don't have to connect to them. They are minor at the moment. Don't permit them and don't attempt to connect them or convert them. Don't attempt to connect or convert them, minor characters, into your life and make them major figures in reference to your destiny. Here's why. Because if God intends for them to make contribution to your vision, trust me, God will reveal to them and will confirm in them what he's doing in you and they will in return participate with you to find their space of contribution as you move toward your destiny. And so Joseph never responds because his next has too much promise, too many possibilities for his now to destroy it. If you have noticed when you read the Bible, even in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, the story of the Hebrew boys, notice that those Hebrew boys never permitted their now in the furnace to blind them of their necks beyond the furnace. But they kept on standing in the fire and they kept on trusting that God would work it out. Remember their famous saying, our God is able. And what happened? Likewise, Joseph kept his eye on the prize and Joseph kept his mind on knowing that his next was greater than his now. That's the attitude which you have to take in the midst of your obstacle course. Don't let your now blind you from what your next is going to provide for you. But there's a second piece of advice that Joseph gives, and that's this. While being resurrected from the pit, let God hold your vision for your next victory. Look at the text in verses 1, 2, and 3 and watch how God evolves the life of Joseph. And I want to suggest because Joseph from the pit to being sold, permitted God, gave God, relinquished to God the vision that God had given him. And as a result, he allowed God to orchestrate the next victory remember the next beyond the now of the pit he allowed God to orchestrate that next victory and what you get in verse 1 2 and 3 of chapter 39 is how God works all things together for the good see in verse 1 Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from the Ishmaelite who had taken him down there. God, do you think it's by happenstance 
that the head of the bodyguard of Pharaoh just happened to fall upon the presence of Joseph from these traveling Ishmaelites. In fact, the Ishmaelites had absolutely no value for Joseph. That's how God is divinely imparting and orchestrating Joseph's journey. Of all people, he hitches a ride as he resurrects him from the pit and takes him down to the destination to which he had in store for him, his next Egypt, over his now, the pit. And where do we find him in chapter 39, verse 1? He's right now in Egypt. And that's because when you look at the text, verse 2 says, and the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. You think that's happenstance? That's divine orchestration because Joseph entrusted to God the vision that he might in return prepare him for the next victory. See, no matter where you are right now in that journey, on that obstacle course that I talked about last week, and remember I said it's going to be filled with obstacles because it's a part of the process, that's the test. And Mrs. Potiphar, we'll learn next week, is the temptation. But the test is marked by various kinds of obstacles. Joseph's brothers, Ishmaelites and Midianites. But yet God is orchestrating. And as uncomfortable and even disheartening and even disappointing as your current moment may be. Don't overlook the opening line of verse 2, but the Lord was with Joseph. And I want to contend that the Lord is with you in whatever that condition, that predicament, that moment is, he's with you and is going to make you successful. That's what he does to Joseph's life. He makes him successful and elevates him because Joseph is purely trusting God because he has no one else or nothing else to trust. Remember, when trouble comes, when disappointments break your heart, when sorrow grips your spirit, keep this in mind, you always have a choice. And that choice is this. You can choose to be bitter or you can choose to be better. And I'm convinced that Joseph entrusted God with the movement of his vision for his next victory and rather than to be bitter against what his brothers had done to him, he got better because he was confident that there was something better in his necks that was of far more value than to permit bitterness to rob him of the better that God had in store. Now, I know there's a gap. We think there's a gap between chapter 37 and 39, and obviously it's chapter 38. But if you take a moment in your own time, the leisure of your own reading, and read through chapter 38, it's almost as if it's out of place. It's about Joseph's brother, Judah. Remember, Judah is the one who changed the direction, the trajectory, in a sense, of what the brothers wanted to do, particularly uh, Reuben, who wanted to pretty much put Joseph in the pit while the others suggested we should let a wild animal kill him or suggest that he killed him. But Judah came along and said, why would we do that? Let's just sell him. But Judah has his own problems. And when you read this story in Genesis 38, Judah encounters a problem in his own journey that will mark him forever. But it also will demonstrate, when you read Judah, here's what happened in a nutshell. 
He has four sons, and two of them die. The first one, Er, E-R, he dies because the Bible says he did evil, and it says that God killed him. His second son, Onan, O-N-A-N, he's responsible for his sister-in-law because when her husband died, Er, they died with no sons. And so the brother-in-law is now responsible for helping continue the family name with the sister-in-law, but he refuses to do so. So the Bible says God kills him too. And the third son, who is growing and maturing, but Judah refuses to let him be a part of the daughter-in-law's life. And so to make a long story short, Judah goes out one evening thinking that he is certainly going to pick up a prostitute. And he does. But he doesn't know that it's his, sis, his daughter-in-law who has veiled her face where she could not be seen. And when that happens, she becomes impregnated. Wouldn't that make the story anyway? She becomes impregnated, and Judah gives her a couple of items to assure her that he wants to be with her. He gives her those items. He goes back, does his due, goes back. He promised her a donkey as well. He sends it back, but the servant to whom he sends it back can never find the young lady. In fact, the people of the city say that there's no street prostitute here. Here's what happens. His daughter-in-law comes and tells him that she's pregnant and that the man she's pregnant by has given her these items. Do you recognize these items? And Judah says, this woman is more righteous than I am. He knew they were his items. And what happens? She ends up giving birth to two boys. And here's the amazing thing about these two boys. One is named Perez and the other is named Zerah. Now before we are quick to judge and to think that this story is insignificant, watch this. Go to Matthew chapter one, I think it's around the second or third verse, you'll find Tamar. Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law and her two sons in the genealogy of Jesus. And how do you put a prostitute and her two illegitimate children in the genealogy of Jesus? Because it goes to show you that even in the midst of your failure, God's grace is sufficient to still promote you. See, there's one thing we haven't talked about in reference to Joseph, and that is Joseph's brother, brothers, if no other reason, they did have one that they didn't like Joseph. Not because he had the coat of many colors. That, that only intensified it. But if you begin reading at chapter 37, they also had an issue with Joseph because Joseph was a tattletaler. He told their business to the father. And Jacob would know what his sons was doing and the sons didn't want that to happen. And so they hated Joseph for that reason. And yet, God still promotes Joseph. And I want you to know that no matter what failure you have encountered in the space that you are, his grace is still sufficient and God will still love you where you are. Now let me quickly run this because it's important that you see the connection because Joseph is having his journey of success but the one brother who actually really helped him, Judah, is having his journey of failure. And yet, it all plays together in the episode that God is playing out in the life of Joseph.
Because chapter 39, verse 2 and 3 tells us that Joseph is still marked by favor. That the favor continues on Joseph's life because I think Joseph wants us to recognize when you trust God with your vision for the next victory, with that comes the understanding that faith for your next has to continue no matter what the circumstance is. And this is how we encounter a brighter day. What happens? God uses and God is with Joseph. Verse 2, clause A. Success is ordained on Joseph's life. Verse 2, clause B. Promotion follows Joseph. Isn't that what verse 3 tells us? The master saw that the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. And look at verse 4. So Joseph found favor in the master's sight and became his personal servant and he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned. He put it in charge of Joseph's promotion. Followed Joseph because he trusted God for the next victory. And then in verse 5, whatever Joseph touched, it prospered. See what the text says? It came about from time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. God is using you where you are to bless those who are around you in different ways. All blessings don't come in the same package. They're not wrapped the same. They don't hold the same value, but they have just as much significance and input in the lives of those around you. And God is doing it. In fact, Joseph is nothing more than a fulfillment of the person of Psalm 1. The man in the illustration of a tree who's planted by the rivers of water, but whatever that man touches, says Psalm 1, it prospers. That's Joseph. That's you in the midst of what looks like failure you're still being blessed and then Joseph is rewarded for entrusting his vision to the Lord for his next victory how do I know that look at verse 6 so he left everything he owned to Joseph Potiphar gave everything that he owned under the leadership and direction of Joseph. Who does that? What Egyptian permits a Hebrew who was a slave to be the second in command of his house? That's called favor. That's called favor. Because that's how God works when he's bringing a brighter day to your life opening doors that no man can shut and shutting doors that no man can open. This is what he does. He brings to Joseph victory. But let me close with this third piece of advice that Joseph provides. And this is where I think the shout comes. Joseph tells us very clearly that you certainly cannot permit your now to blind you from your next. He secondly tells us, while we're being resurrected from the pit, let your vision be entrusted to God for your next victory. But here's his third piece of advice. There is life after whatever this is. There is life after whatever this is. Whatever that obstacle, whatever that pit, whatever that broken promise, whatever that broken heart, whatever that broken dream, whatever that broken disappointment, the inability to understand why God is even permitting to happen what is happening 
Joseph says, hold on. There's a brighter day coming because there's life after this moment. This too will pass. In a nutshell, Joseph says, you must allow your future to be fueled by your faith. Joseph says, you and I, we may have encountered a very difficult journey, but, and I must admit with Joseph, I have wondered often if the dream could ever be realized that God has given, would it ever come to pass because my life right now doesn't resemble what God promised. And yet Joseph says, as you view your promised destination from your current situation, you very well may only be seeing neon lights saying it's impossible, not going to happen, failure, failure. And yet Joseph said, but this is the moment in which your faith must fuel your future because there is life after whatever this is. As I thought about that, I got to thinking about the text in the New Testament. I got to thinking the woman who had the issue of blood certainly in her own mind wondered if there ever will be life after this 12-year journey. Or Mary Magdalene, who is possessed, as the text says, with seven demons and delivered, but wondered before deliverance, I'm certain, is there ever another life after this demonic activity? Or Jacob, who is mourning what is believed to be the assumed death of his son Joseph is wondering, is there life after my son's death? <laughs> and you can't leave out the disciples who are wondering after the crucifixion on that Friday, is there life after this moment? After this, whatever it is. And there is. It's God's way of moving you to a brighter day. But I want to add some caviar to Joseph's suggestions as well. Two things and then I'm done. I'm closing it out. Number one, keep this in mind. The lessons I think that Joseph is also trying to tell us. You have to learn life's adversaries before you can be trusted with life's advancements and achievements. Think about that. You've got to learn life's adversaries before you can be trusted with life's advancements and achievements. See, if you think about it, you're going to end up earning it. It just won't be given to you. And have you noticed people without maturity, without understanding, without some knowledge of what they have been blessed with, they don't hold on to it very long. But life's adversaries has a way of teaching you how to embrace blessings and how to embrace advancements and how to embrace achievements. That's a word that Joseph is telling us. Secondly, I think he's also telling us you can't be afraid of storms because they teach you how to sail your ship. You can't be afraid of storms because they teach you how to sail your ship. See, the storm helps you understand all of the navigation equipment, what it really means when trouble arises. Storms helps you understand how you can manage your way through when the waves are moving the ship back and forth and creating such turmoil. I know we'd like to live life without storms, but it doesn't generally happen. And yet when we come through a storm, we not only have a tremendous testimony, but it's anchored in our spirit.
that we never forget the experience. This is why I contend that Joseph's journey is a simple four-part uh, four process. Starts in the pit, ends up being promoted to the palace, ends up being confined in prison, and ends up being elevated to prime minister. Because life has its processes. And all along the way, Joseph wanted a brighter day. He's, he's going to get it. He got it. We're going to learn in the weeks to come. He got it. But not without the pit. And not without the prison. It's going to happen. But when you want the brighter day, you learn what the lessons are that God has to teach you while you're on the sea to sail your ship. And you learn how to handle life's adversaries so that God can trust you with the achievements as well as the advancements. There's going to be a brighter day, but you got to let your faith fuel your fire. You, your future. Don't let your now keep you from your next. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit and for the word of God. And I pray today that someone who is listening to this word caught some of the principles to which I believe you would have us to know. Someone may be in the pit. They may be experiencing the moment in which they've been promoted to the palace, whatever it is, God, teach them to trust you and entrust to you their vision that you've given them for the next victory. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to learn all things that they may work together for the good. And we give you the praise. I pray also that in the lifting up of Joseph, somebody's life today will be lifted up to the newness of life as they embrace the word of God, and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Into your hands we give this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray that this was a blessed word for you today, and somehow, in some way, your life is going to be transformed as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that is the case, we certainly would want to know at the end of our service, there are always many different ways you can contact us to let us know how God is working or has worked in your life. And we look forward to hearing victorious stories as a result of your journey as well. We are always blessed and motivated by those of you who support the ministry and our hearts say thank you as always. We encourage you to continue to do so. And if you have never never supported this ministry and yet you've been blessed take the moment to consider giving us a contribution that we might continue to do ministry for the kingdom of god listen i've enjoyed my time with you and i pray that this word has been a blessing to your spirit always know that god loves you and so do i i want you to have a blessed wonderful week in the lord look forward to a brighter day in jesus name amen